First Timothy chapter one, verse fifteen. Brethren, this is God's word. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Thus saith the word of God. <clears throat> well, brethren, it's been a number of weeks uh, since we've been on our subject. We had just begun this when uh, uh, the need for several meetings came up and my own being out of town. and So uh, uh, we had begun the last time we gathered with a review. I won't go through that entire review again, but uh, in light of the amount of time it's been since we've looked at our subject, uh, I think it would be helpful for us at least to review just a tiny bit. Now, having defined and considered God's sovereign rule, the radical depravity of man, and predestination and election, we have taken up the subject of particular redemption. As we observed in our first study, which was several weeks ago now, I think tonight actually makes it a month since we've been on this blessed subject, uh, this doctrine has also been known as limited atonement, definite atonement, or successful atonement. We considered that since everyone limits the atonement in some way, and since there are those who view the term limited in an excessively negative way, we prefer to use the terms particular redemption or definite atonement. I think they more clearly express what the doctrine means. Now, let's begin by reviewing the elements of how something is accomplished. <clears throat> this is important, and I, I want us to not only lay a hold of these elements, but we're also going to be looking at the Scriptures tonight, seeing these very things unfold in front of us. Watch them, and you will see what I mean. Uh, we want to consider this evening, uh, under this title, To Save Sinners. That's what it tells us in verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world, to save sinners. And I think we'll see why that's such an important three words by the time the evening is over. Well, let's consider the means then and the elements uh, by which something is accomplished. There are three things that we must always consider when we think about any goal, anything being accomplished. First, there is the agent. That's the one who does the thing intended. That's the who. The first thing that one does when he wants to accomplish any goal is to plan it. So there is an agent who plans. And <clears throat> that's the goal. That brings us to the second part. What the thing is to accomplish what is it that we're attempting to accomplish? There's a goal. There's something in view. Whether it's a, a project at home, whether it's a, a large program that we intend to write or implement, there is a, a goal, an end in view. And in order to get there, we don't just say, well, I hope it happens. We have to plan, think, design. This is what the agent does. So we have the agent, and then we have the goal. Finally, we have the means. That's the how the thing intended is done. Having planned what he wants to accomplish, the agent uses means to bring it into reality. So we have a who, what, and how of the way anything is accomplished. The agent, the goal in view, and the means to that end. That's very simple. There's nothing about it that uh, is difficult, and I think probably fairly young children can understand that concept. For often we don't even think that simply when we come to the Word of God. And I want us, as we consider the passages uh, 
that will be in view this evening, I want you to watch for the agent, the goal, and the plan. <clears throat> or excuse me, the agent, the goal, and the, the means by how that goal is brought to pass. So, in order to understand the purpose of God, we must have a biblical grasp of who, what, and how of God's eternal purpose. We need to understand who the agent of salvation is, what end or goal he had in mind, and how that goal, salvation, is accomplished. So that brings us to the question with which we left our last study a month ago, for whom did Christ die? And brethren, when we come to the subject of the saving work of Christ, I know of nothing that brings such joy and gladness to the hearts of God's people. And even though we must do some detailed studies here in the next few weeks in an attempt to understand this doctrine, controversial as it is, I pray that you will find this not uh, rough sledding, but that you will find your heart warmed and encouraged and strengthened in the faith of Christ. Particular redemption is often rejected as something that the scriptures do not teach. And I would maintain, brethren, with the greatest clarity, it is exactly what the Word of God teaches, and it is not something hidden. There's nothing esoteric about it. There's no mystery. We've been told something on the basis of a few verses instead of taking it all in in light of the many verses that speak to this issue. So the issue of for whom Christ died is of vital importance. Why? Ultimately we'll see that it has to do with the way we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and secondly, how it brings glory to God. All right. We raise the question, for whom did Christ die? And we have determined, out of all the possible combinations, for those of you that weren't here, I would encourage you to get that tape, but uh, <clears throat> all the possible combinations, the Bible really only teaches one of two things. Either Christ died for all the sins of all men, or he died for all of the sins of some men. Having looked at the possibilities in our last study, we realized that even with the passages we looked at and uh, uh, last last time, that there could only be two possible uh, po uh, there could only be two possible um, uh, combinations here. And I repeat them one more time: either Christ died for all the sins of all men, or He died for all the sins of some men. Today. In most professing evangelical churches, there would be people utterly stunned or shocked that someone would even raise these two possibilities. Everyone would normally say, well, quite naturally. The Bible teaches that Jesus died for all the sins of all men. And yet, brethren, under the careful scrutiny and study of the Word of God, I think that you will see in the weeks ahead, that is clearly not the teaching of Scripture. And that is the shocking thing to most folk because they've never studied past the two verses that are pounded into their thinking to think through what all the wealth of other verses are saying. So I hope that as we begin to unfold this this evening, you will see that what the Scriptures are teaching is that Christ died for all of the sins of on men. Now remember, we began this evening with the issue of how something is accomplished. There's the agent, the goal, and the means. God the Father purposed salvation. Christ the Son accomplished salvation. The Holy Spirit applies salvation. And we're going to see the elements of the who, the what, and the, and the how laid out in many of the passages before us. So the first thing we want to consider, we did look at this briefly last time. We simply visited again to remind us 
so that we can put these things together. What is the purpose of Christ's death? Does the Bible tell us? Does the Word of God say in plain language that we can understand what the purpose of Christ's death is? There was clear design and purpose in Christ's coming, and He accomplished that purpose. After studying the words of Christ, Paul and John, we concluded that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the verse we began with tonight. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Notice, it does not say that Jesus Christ came in the world, into the world in the hopes of saving sinners. It does not say that Jesus Christ came into the world to make possible the salvation of sinners. Now, those are the words we hear all the time, and yet they're, they're rarely to be found, uh, and never in the context of this subject, in the Scriptures. Jesus made nothing possible on the cross. As we saw in our last study, Jesus Christ accomplished what His Father sent Him to do. He accomplished a full salvation. For whom? Well, that's what we want to see. <clears throat> we, uh, we saw that, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Secondly, to deliver them from this present evil world. Again, not trying to deliver them from the present evil world. Not uh, in the hopes of delivering someone. But He came for the specific purpose of delivering someone from this present evil world. Thirdly, it says, <clears throat> we, we saw that it says that He came to redeem them from all iniquity. Now that is a powerful statement, brethren. To redeem them from all iniquity. Did He or did He not accomplish that? Finally, to purify them and make them holy. As Matthew one twenty one said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he would like to save someone? No. For he's going to make it possible for some, perhaps, to be saved? No. Thou shalt call his name the salvation of Jehovah, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Now, <clears throat> we looked at numerous passages we're only going to look at a couple of representative ones, uh, again, to refresh our thinking. <clears throat> the purpose of Christ's death according to Christ. What did he say in Luke 19.10? To seek and to save that which is lost. In other words, we have a clear purpose here, don't we? Is there not? When Jesus said he came to seek and to save then what we're facing is design. We see purpose. Jesus Christ came to save. Did He or did He not? Did He seek, did he seek that which was lost? Did He save that which was lost? If His purpose was to save all men, He did not accomplish His purpose. Because His purpose was to seek and to save. If he does not do so, if it was all men, then he must tell his father, I did not accomplish your purpose. According to Paul, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Galatians 1.4 To deliver us from this present evil world. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 To redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now, the question must be asked of each of these. Did Jesus Christ do that? If the Father, the agent of salvation, in, in planning salvation, if His purpose was to save all men, then Jesus Christ obviously has not saved all men. 
he has not delivered all men. And he certainly has not purified all men. The Apostle John says that Christ was, uh, that the Father sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If Jesus Christ was the propitiation for all men, then all men must be saved. Because the word propitiation means that he turned away the Father's wrath. Did Jesus Christ, in fact, turn away the Father's wrath? We have to say yes. The question then must be, for whom? Because if he turned away the Father's wrath for all men, why are there any men in hell? The answer has to be, well, uh, there was some sin. Well, then he didn't. Then he didn't turn away the Father's wrath for all sin. You say, well, uh, they have to believe. Well, is unbelief a sin? Yes. Does it say that he redeems us from all iniquity? Then, if he came to save every single man, then the sins for every single man have to be paid for. If the sins of every single man are paid for, we cannot explain the presence of any man in hell. Now, <clears throat> this is the purpose of Christ's death. To seek and to save. He came into the world to save, to deliver, to redeem, to purify. He's either done that or he has not. If the Father's purpose was that all of that be done for all men, that purpose has not been accomplished. There's no word game going on here, brethren. This is not a, a theological playground. We have to ask, what do the Scriptures mean? What are they saying? <clears throat> well, let's consider the results of Christ's death. Let's consider the results of Christ's death. Our last study revealed that <clears throat> uh, Christ's death actually accomplished justification. It actually accomplished adoption. There are people who are justified. There are people who are adopted. And it is all on the basis and the merit of Christ's work. Reconciliation, sanctification, glorification, these have been secured. If they have been secured for all men, why do not all men have them? <clears throat> now, again, I repeat, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the very basis of these uh, passages, did not make something possible he accomplished something certain. Now, turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 24. And let's look plainly at the, at the terminology here. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. In fact, we can, uh, <clears throat> we can back up to verse 23. For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. This is man's predicament. We need to be saved from our sins. But notice in verse 24 it says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now, Here's what we want to see. No man can be justified except there be payment for his sin. Therefore, it is clear that in the propitiation and the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ was secured justification. And that justification is received by faith. That is very plainly set forth before us. Being justified, that means to be declared righteous being justified freely by His grace through what? The redemption. That means the, the, the buying back, the
the, the release by payment of a purchase price in His blood. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ propitiated the Father. It turned away His wrath. Why? Because it satisfied all of the demands of the law. Therefore, God the Father is not in a condemning way angry with His children anymore. We may provoke His fatherly displeasure by our sins, whereby He graciously and lovingly chastens us back into fellowship with Him. But we are not paying for our sins. Our sins have been paid for in the blood of Christ once and forever. How is it that we can be justified? Our, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ died for sins. If there's one sin left that is not paid for, then we will certainly go to hell. So, no one can be justified except his sins be paid for. Now, if God the Father's purpose was for all men to be justified, then, of course, Jesus Christ should have paid for the sins of all men. That brings us back to where we were a while ago. If all of the sins of all men have once and forever been finished at the cross, why is any man lost? Let's look at the word adoption. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Oh, by the way, and in that, I trust that you saw the agent... God the Father, <clears throat> and His purpose, justification, redemption, uh, propitiation, all of these things ultimately end, end up being the purpose of salvation. And it's through the means of the Lord Jesus Christ and the shedding of His blood. Who is at work? God. What's His purpose? Salvation. How does He accomplish it? Through Jesus Christ. Notice the same when it comes to adoption. Galatians chapter 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. What? What? To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Again, ultimately, who's the agent? God. What's His purpose? To redeem and to adopt. This is salvation. How? He sent forth His Son. Now these are all clear statements. There's nothing speculative about any of it. God had a purpose. His plan was to redeem and to adopt. And He accomplished that by the sending of His Son. However, if, in the light of this, God's purpose was to do this for all men then it is not accomplished for all men. The Scriptures plainly tell us that there are men in hell and that there will be men in hell for all of eternity. If this has been accomplished for all men, how can any man be in hell? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Once again, brethren, we must ask the question, predestinated who? If He has predestinated all men unto the adoption of children, how do we explain lost men and men in hell for all of eternity? We have to say there's, there's some conflict Inevitably, someone always wants to go back to the argument and say, well, it's, all, it's this issue of faith. And we say, Amen. We must believe. Well, then that's the missing element. Oh, so, then Christ's work is not complete without our work? We don't want that position. But that is what portions of the church have been forced to adopt. That is why you hear men today say things like, God has done all He can do. Now the rest is up to you. Brethren, who gets the glory in that scenario? 
I will. God's up there just waiting. And now I say yes. And that's what was missing all along. My work, my act. Now this is not what the Scriptures teach. What we have is that having predestinated us, and he's speaking to believers there, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There's a purpose. What is it? To save sinners, to deliver sinners, to purify sinners. Did Jesus Christ come to do that? Yes. And did he accomplish that? If it was for all men, we must say, well, partly. But if it was for God's chosen ones, as it plainly says here, then he has perfectly accomplished what God the Father gave him to do. And there is no inconsistency. None whatsoever. The death of Christ has accomplished reconciliation. And by the way, in Ephesians there again, look, having predestinated, that's the Father, unto the adoption of children, that's ultimately our salvation, that's the goal, that's the end, that's the plan, and what's the means? By Jesus Christ to Himself. You see, this we're not reading this into the text, brethren. It's, it's lying right here on the face of it. Like diamonds and jewels and rubies just lying around. I have to go dig for it. It's right here. There's an agent, there's a goal, and there are means. And those means are successful. That's why we call it successful atonement or definite atonement. It's not speculative. It is particular redemption. Christ Jesus saves sinners. He's not hoping someone will be saved today. He's saving. This is very troubling if you've never studied it. If you've been taught something different. I know the first time that I heard this, I thought this was the rankest heresy I'd ever heard. Until I sat down and read the scriptures and said, whatever I've been told, I'll put to the test of the word of God. And then the more I looked at it, the more I began to realize I'd had about three verses sent my direction all of my life saying one thing, when in the, 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 the preponderant weight of all of the other verses were pointing to something specific, not universal. There is a universality, but we're going to see that when we study the word world and how the scriptures use it. But that's a couple of weeks away still. Right? So we're going to look at those texts that say world. And we're going to look at them that say every. And we're going to look at those that say all. And we want to see how they are to be understood. Now, <clears throat> what else did the, the, the death of Christ accomplish? Reconciliation. Again, he didn't make reconciliation possible. He accomplished reconciliation. This is what the scriptures say. Romans 5, verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, and of course he's speaking to Christians, he says, when we were, past tense, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Who's the agent? God. What's the end? What's the goal? To be saved. What are the means? Jesus Christ. We're reconciled by the death of His Son. Sanctification. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which will, meaning the will of the Lord Jesus Christ to do the Father's will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one offering, He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Powerful verse. Very important. Finally, glorification. And there are other words we could look at, but we're just looking at these basic words. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 30 says, Moreover, whom he, God the Father, did predestinate, <clears throat> them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. There's the word. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, this is one of the remarkable things that we find in Scripture. Paul goes from eternity <laughs> into time and then into eternity. He's got both ends of eternity right here in one verse. And it, where did salvation begin? With my decision and my will? No. It began with God's purpose. The agent had a goal. Glorification. The salvation of His people. God the Father... Plan, purpose. What did he do? He predestined. When he predestined, what was he predestining? That they be justified. How's that justification accomplished? We read through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who propitiated the Father. Finally, whom he justified, then he also glorified. We haven't been glorified yet, but it's in the past tense. How can that be? Because what God has purposed is certain to happen. And it is as good as being a finished work. Brethren, if you hate the concept of particular redemption, you must take your eternal security and throw it out. Why is any man secure in his salvation? Because God the Father, the agent, purposed it. The beginning and the end. He knew what had to be done and he purposed to send his Son to accomplish for them everything they needed for perfect righteousness and eternal salvation. God isn't trying to save sinners today. I grew up hearing that and even saying it. And unfortunately, even for a brief time, teaching it. God in heaven, the glorious God who has purposed a full and free salvation. I had him on the throne concerned about who might take the bait today. Now I say that in that way because, of course, in that time I was very sincere about those things. But as we begin to look at the Word of God and see what it is saying. Again, there's nothing speculative here. God purposed. Christ accomplished. And there's and there are people who are benefiting from exactly what Christ did. If God's purpose was to justify all men, if God's purpose was to adopt all men, if God's purpose was to reconcile all men, if God's purpose was to sanctify all men, and if God's purpose is to glorify all men, then why hasn't that purpose been realized? Why will there be those whose the, the smoke of their torment will rise forever? Well, all we can say then, remember, you can't say well, it's because of unbelief. It is because of unbelief. But if Jesus Christ justified, propitiated, redeemed, and all of these things, every man, then every sin has to be paid for. You have to do what others have done throughout the history of the church and say that the issue of faith is not a sin. It's a neutral thing. You believe or you don't believe, but it's not something you'd be judged for. I've actually heard people say that. Why? Because they understand the weight of what's being said here. Jesus didn't do something speculative upon the cross. He didn't say, well, I hope someone gets saved. He saved. It is finished. Something was accomplished. And brethren, we're told it's justification it's adoption, it's reconciliation, it's sanctification, it's glorification. Why? Because God the Father purposed it, and He accomplished it, and it's being applied to those for whom it was intended. 
Christ died for all of the sin. Some men. If this is the first time you've ever heard this, I don't expect uh, you to necessarily walk out saying, well, got that down. This is very difficult. If you've been taught something else, especially for years. But brethren, when we come to the Word of God, we must take any of our doctrines and examine them in the light of God's Word. And be willing <clears throat> now, by, uh, to change any of those. By the way, let me say, this is not a strange or an unusual doctrine. Throughout the history of the church, many, many times, it was the doctrine of the day. We're living in a time that has left its moorings and left its path. When you tell the average Southern Baptist today, the doctrine I'm preaching that you're getting red in the face about is what your denomination was founded on. The sputterings can go on for a while. And all you have to do is produce the documents and say, here is the confession that was held by all of the early Southern Baptist presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it is this doctrine that Christ was a successful Savior. <clears throat> well, this evening we only have time left to look at the role of the Father in salvation and next week we'll take up the role of the Son. And even this is going to be uh, an abbreviated look. But we want to consider these things now think with me carefully. <clears throat> this is a time to especially leave all the things of the day and what you're going to do tomorrow aside and focus on the Word of God. Let's hear the Word of God. We've been saying that the agent in salvation is God, and of course that's the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father purposed salvation. The Son accomplished salvation. The Spirit applies salvation. And that is why, and that alone is why, any sinner is ever saved. That is grace. It is not something that God has dumped out upon men and say, I hope it works. Or I hope that just some of you will go for this. No. Christ came to seek. And he sought. And saved. And he saved. That which was lost. The Father purposed salvation. And uh, you don't need to turn there, but Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He, the Father, hath chosen, that's the action, us, that's the direct object, in Him, Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. There was an agent. There was a plan. And here are the means in Christ, in Him. <clears throat> According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. He had a plan. He laid out the, the boundaries. And what were those boundaries there for? They hymned you and me in where we ran this way and went this way and we went this way in our life until the Lord brought our path to the cross of Jesus Christ. To the praise and glory of His grace. It wasn't because you were so smart. It wasn't because you figured it out. It wasn't because you're white or black or educated or rich or poor or any of these things. It is because God had a purpose and He's been working it out every moment of every day since He said, Let there be light. Right. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure 
of His will. Not you, not me. It wasn't that He looked down and said, Oh, look at that one. If I gave Him a chance, He'd go for it. If I gave Him a chance, He wouldn't. So, well then I'll go for Him. That's just not what the Scriptures teach. Why does the Lord know who's going to believe? Because He sends the Spirit to open their hearts. And they believe on Christ Jesus the Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, it's purposed by the Father. What did the Father do? What else did the Father do for this salvation? He is the agent here, and He's making a plan. And that plan includes predestinating, that means marking off the boundaries beforehand, some people unto adoption. Paul could say to the Ephesians, you and I have been wonderful, have been recipients of God's wonderful, glorious grace. How did He accomplish it? What were the means? Well, He sent His Son. Oh, and we could spend days just on this one subject, but in brief, God's eternal purpose was to save His people from their sins. Now, in order to accomplish this, He sent, oh, that little word sent is so important, sent His only begotten Son into this world. We're going to look at just some representative passages. In fact, I would encourage you not to even... Uh, take the time to write these down right now. If you want them, come get them off my notes here later. But just listen to what God has done. Hear the testimony of the Word of God. The importance of God sending Christ cannot be overestimated. The Gospel of John alone mentions this authoritative sending over 20 times. Every time we read the word send or sent, we have before us the infallible revelation of God's eternal purpose. Luke says in Acts chapter 3, verse 26, Unto you first, having raised up His Son, Jesus, sent Him to bless you. Sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. Who is the agent? God. What was the goal? turning them away from their iniquities. How did he accomplish it? He sent his son. Paul says it this way. We've read the verse already. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come. In other words, in his time. God sent forth his son. And there's the word. Sent. Sent forth his son. Made of a woman. Made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption. You can take those three elements and look at them yourselves. You can find them here. The, the agent and the, the goal and the means. John, the apostle, says it this way. 1 John 4, verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us. He wanted us to be delivered, purified, reconciled, justified, adopted, glorified, sanctified. How did He do it? He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's just, just three very brief representative verses of the scriptural testimony but let's just quote the Lord Jesus Christ himself where he is uh, recorded as speaking to us of course he inspired and by his spirit spoke all of the holy word but we do have recorded that he that he when he walked on this planet said these things listen from the lips of Christ Jesus himself pour forth the regular testimony that God the Father authoritatively sent him to do a work. Listen, John seven twenty nine, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. John eight forty two, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. 
John 6, 57. As the living Father hath sent me. John 4, verse 34. And this is where we really want to lay hold of this, brethren. Listen. Jesus saith unto them, My meat, my food, is to do the will of Him that sent me. The agent. He has something in view. And His means is to send His Holy Son. And Jesus said, That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to do His will. He sent me, He sent me, He sent me, He sent me to do His will. And that's what I feast on. I'm doing His will. I'm not missing part of it. I'm doing His will. John chapter 6, verse 39. And this is the Father's will. Now, were you thinking when I said will, did any of you go, okay, what was that will? Does the Bible say somewhere what that will is? Yes. It came from Jesus' lips Himself. Listen to the incarnate God. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all... How does that end? All which He hath given me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing. Brethren, we must ask a question right there. If the Father's purpose was for Jesus to save all that He gave Him, and His purpose was for that that He gave Him to be all men, did Jesus do the Father's will? plain as it can be, brother. We don't, we don't have to get in here and do a lot of twisting and we don't even have to say, well, the only way to properly understand this is to really get a hold of the, the usage of this Greek term here. In, th- in these verses, it couldn't be any plainer. Think with me once again. My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. I've been authoritatively sent to do something. What is that will? What is that will? He says, here it is. Here's the Father's will all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing. If that was every man, He lost some of them. But should raise it up again at the last day. How is it that you and I can have confidence in our salvation? Because dear friend Jesus Christ accomplished the Father's will. And if He has brought me to see my sins and brought me to repent of those sins and to trust Him alone, my confidence is not in my decision, but in His glorious finished work. I believe His promise. And I trust Him. Brethren, in verse 37 of that same chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. How can we how can we say, well, he didn't give everybody to the Son, but he died for everybody. Does that make sense? Why all that the Father giveth me shall come. To me, all, every one of them, they shall come. Chapter 17, verse 2, Christ's high priestly prayer. Hear the word of Christ. As thou, Christ speaking to the Father, as thou hast given me, given him, that's the Lord Jesus, power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. If God the Father gave him all men, why do not all men have life? Because Christ says plainly that the ones that have been given to him all have life coming to them. All of them. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, 
that he, Christ, should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Verse 6 of the same chapter, chapter 17, verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto all men, no, the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. Thou gavest them to me. Notice in verse 9, same chapter, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. Why would Jesus Christ pray for only some men if in fact he spilled his blood for all of them. What's he praying for here? The application of the life that has been secured by him. He's being their high priest. I pray not for the world. Brethren, if he's about to go to the cross for every single one of them, why is he not praying for them? I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Verse 24, same chapter. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. Amen. Do you have a hope of heaven today? If you have a hope of heaven, it is because God the Father is going to answer and is answering this prayer. Jesus said, I want everyone that you've given me to be with me where I am. Do you think that the Father will keep one or two or a dozen back? No. The Father's going to give him absolutely every single one that he prayed for. If that is all men, why are there men in hell? Finally, the Father punished the Son. The Father purposed, the Father sent, and the Father punished. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For He hath made Him, this is God the Father, hath made Him, the Lord Jesus, to be sin for us, this is believers, who knew no sin, Christ knew no sin, that we, those who believe, might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God the Father punished His Son. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the substitute for His people. Brethren, our gospel rests on the truth of substitution. Jesus Christ is the sin-bearing substitute for His people. Why are they saved? Because He bore their sin. The Father, with something in view, what is it? That we might be made the righteousness of God. Another word for salvation. How did He accomplish it? He made Him to be sin for us. The three-letter word in English, for, is the very heart of our gospel. The vicarious, the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. In other words, He, He is the one in His shed blood who purchased His dear children. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. There it is. The just, Jesus Christ, for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. How is any man brought to God? By Jesus Christ being in His place. Well, why, why is it that that works that way? Because there's one thing that separates men 
from their God. And that is their sin. If Jesus Christ has paid for all the iniquities of a man, that man must be saved. Because there is nothing to that man's charge anymore. He receives that salvation by faith. He believes the glorious risen Christ who says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. How can I have rest for my tormented soul? I've been a liar. I've been a blasphemer. I've been impure. I've been a murderer in my heart if I haven't been in my body. I've broken all of God's commands. Jesus Christ was my substitute. And He bore all of my sins. And I look and I trust Him. The just for the unjust. That He might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh. Well, let's wrap it up then this evening, brethren. How is anything accomplished? There's an agent who has a goal. And he plans the means by which he accomplishes that goal. Every verse we've looked at tonight in some way or another has set before our eyes that God the Father had a purpose. It was to save sinners. He accomplished it through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a complete and thorough work that utterly saves them. This was God the Father's purpose. Christ died the death that He did for His people that they might have everlasting life. You say, this is a frightening doctrine to me. I find no comfort in it. What if I'm not one of those people? If you're not one of those people, you'll never have an interest in Christ. Do you see the darkness of your soul? Do you see the wickedness of your deeds? You have one hope. There's a crucified and risen Savior who is the Savior of all who come to Him. And they may have confidence because He secured forever a perfect righteousness for all them that believe. He purposed and kept His Father's will. His Father's will was to save all that He gave them and raise them up at the last day. Your assurance is not that you made a decision. Your assurance is trusting Him who finished the work. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T six L three T five you may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to His commands, they pervert true religion. 
And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.